I am Igum and Michelle, and this is a podcast, a safe space where I get to talk about God and share my experiences of walking with Him, as well as dissect what it really means to follow Him. We are currently on a Bible in a Year challenge where we read and reflect on daily chapters of the Bible for 365 days, and I am super glad that you decided to join us today. So guys, today is day 68 of our Bible in Year challenge, and I am so glad to have you guys on here today. We will be continuing on our journey, taking readings from the books of Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Psalms. Once again, the daily readings are stated in the description box. So hopefully, you have read that part of the Bible yourself, and then you can come back to this podcast to hear my reflections on those chapters. So let us dive right in Numbers chapter nineteen. The first thing that pops right into our faces is the ritual of the red cow, and so this ritual was done as a way of purification, as a way of cleansing, as a way of making someone who was unclean ritually clean. So I think I've stated this before, but I think I should do it again. That the state of uncleanliness. Was not the same as the state of sinfulness. So when you look at things that were considered unclean, it's very confusing、um, because these were things that could literally happen in anything you do. Like what you eat could make you unclean, what you touch could make you unclean, what you came in contact with could make you unclean, where you went to could make you unclean,、um, your house. Could be unclean, and if you resided in that house for some time, for way too long, it could also make you unclean. So, practically, so many things could make you unclean, and sometimes these things don't make sense because you're like, okay, what of the case where period,、um, that is the menstrual flow of a woman actually makes her unclean? So, what of cases like that where it's literally not my fault? Like these things happen normally, like. How does that make me a bad person? Okay, so I'll just put that out there. The state of being unclean is not the same as sinning or offending God or being,、um, or committing a moral wrong, but it was something that kind of. I mean, I'm I'm going to use the same word that I used the last time when I was explaining this. That the state of clean or unclean centered around. Anything that had to do with life or death, so it was just a way of God、um, stating that things centered around these things were fragile, were unique, and were special. So people's attitudes, people's actions towards these things, had to be very、um, structured. In the sense that they 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 had they were there was a certain way they had to behave around these things because these were fragile things, these were things that had to do with life or death, and so how you behave or how you acted around these things could determine if you were ritually clean or unclean. So it was really not a state of moral wrong or a state of sinfulness. So honestly, I really don't understand the whole concept that well. I'm just going to put that out there. So this is the best I can explain it. But it was not it. It was not the same thing as as offending God. I'll just put that out there. So, anyways, this ritual was carried out as that form of purification. And one thing that was done is that the red cow 
was taken to a place outside the camp and then its neck was broken and then it will later on be burned but three things were going to be thrown in as well to be burned you have the wood the cursia wood you have the hyssop and then you have the red cord this is not the first time that we've seen hyssop in a ritual or in a a cleansing process so hyssop was also what was used to um sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the lintels and on the doorposts of the israelites at the time when they were still in egypt so that when the angel of death saw that blood it would pass over so hyssop was even used at that time during that ritual cleansing or purification that signified um the cleansing of the israelites from their slavery lives from their life of slavery in egypt to the new life of freedom that god was calling them to also, hyssop was what was used to offer Jesus wine on the cross after his crucifixion. Again, we see where hyssop is used in that perfect purification ritual where Jesus died in our stead and cleansed us eternally from our sin and from death. So I just wanted to put that out there that I don't think this is a coincidence that hyssop was used in three major rituals that was performed as a purification rite. Yeah, just putting that out there. So moving on to Numbers chapter 20, this is where things begin to get a bit interesting because then we see, um, okay, I think I've just noted that Miriam and Aaron dies today. Um, in today's readings, Miriam and Aaron, the two siblings of Moses, dies in today's um, readings. And then we see why, not for Miriam, but for Aaron and also for Moses, who would later die before they get to the promised land. So as usual, the people of Israel, doing what they know how to do best, complain. Started complaining about how there was no water and how they were better off. Note that before, when the Israelites complained, they were always complaining about how they were better off in Egypt as slaves than in the desert. But this time around, they don't complain about how they were as slaves in Egypt. They complain about how they should have died in front of the tent of meeting. So last two days, we talked about those three men who came to challenge Moses' authority as leader. And we saw where God's judgment came upon them. And then the earth opened up and swallowed them whole and their families. So now today, the Israelites complain that they would have been better off dying with those three men and their families than they were now, than they were in the deserts. It was better to them for them to have died like that in that manner, that for them to still be alive in the desert. And I'm just going to say this, honestly, that the Israelites were in great. <laughs> for lack of a better word, the Israelites were in and ungrateful. To think that God was caring for these people and protecting them and always being there for them and giving them these commands and giving them these promises, even coming down to establish their relationship with them, they just seemed to never be content. They just seemed to never be pleased with whatever God did. And reading this, I kind of can't help to say how many times have we been exactly like this? How many times have we wished that we could go back to the past because we were happier before how many times we wish that 
we were like back in time because things were better than what they are now. How many times do we wish that things wouldn't have changed so much because now everything is so hard and things before were better off than things now. How many times have we neglected all that God has done for us to get us to the point where we are now? Just because we feel like we were better off before. I can't speak for anyone else but myself and I will say this. I have been this ingrid numerous times. So many times I always wished that I was who I was before. And the fact is when you wish these things, you forget all the bad things that you were passing through in those times. You forget all the times that you were praying to God for the very moment that you are living in now. And that is the spirit of ungratefulness. And when you have that spirit, you cannot please God. It is impossible to please God when you are not even grateful for the things that he has done for you. So just to put your mind and your attention to that, that that is one of the devices that the devil used to draw us away from God. Because when you are not grateful, when you don't have the heart of thanksgiving, you really wouldn't have or wouldn't see any reason to even have faith in God, that God can see you through that challenge or that obstacle that you're facing now. So I'm just putting that out there that it's a very big spoiler. Be very, very mindful of the times where you feel like your life in the past or your life before was better than your life in the present. And I just want to remind you that God is still with you. You're still a work in progress. You're still moving. You're still growing. You still have numerous opportunities for you. You're still heading somewhere to an amazing destination that you cannot even begin to imagine or begin to fathom. And so just trust God in that. Focus your mind on the things that God has done for you and the many ways he has revealed himself to you. And let that encourage you. That that God that did those things then is still the same God now. And he will still be the same God tomorrow. And he's going to see you through till the end of your journey. So anyways, still on our story. The people nagged and complained and Moses and Aaron went to God. And God instructed Moses to go to the rock, take the staff, go to the rock, speak to the rock and water was going to gush out. But then Moses being overcome for obvious reasons... I mean, he was dealing with this bunch of ingrates. So for very obvious reasons, Moses um, lets his emotions get the best of him. And then he strikes the rock twice and then water gushes out. But God was quite offended with what he did because he did not carry out the instruction um, as he was told. And God said that he, Moses and Aaron would not get to see the promised land. And in this chapter today, we see how and where Aaron dies. And yeah, this might seem a bit harsh. This might seem very mean from the side of God. But um, first of all, he's God. <laughs> I don't think we have that right to judge what God does. <laughs> Second off, um, this just goes as far as to say that to whom much is given, much is expected. And especially when you're walking with God, if you hold that position of responsibility or leadership, you're going to be called to live up to that role and position. Moses 
would go on to be one of the greatest prophets of all time. I mean, he and Elijah were two prophets that appeared to Jesus as at his transfiguration. And so he was called to such a great role and position and nothing less except for perfection would be expected of him. The Bible states that Moses spoke to God as to a friend. He saw the back of God. His face radiated from being so much in God's presence. Like Moses was living the life. Like I don't think there's any closer any human being can get to God than the way Moses was with God. And so that explains why it was so important to God that Moses obeyed his commands and his instructions because it was literally God's mouthpiece to the Israelites. One thing that kind of stuck to me from the story, one thing, I think this is the first time I'm even getting to um, know this or to see this. I, I always say that when you read the Bible, especially with popular stories, you think you've known it all until until you read it again and you're like, wait, I, I did not I did not realize this. I did not see this the first time I read it. And the thing is, when God was instructing Moses, so he tells Moses, okay, go to the front of the Ark of Covenant, take that staff, the same staff that he used to divide the Red Sea into two when he struck it. Take that staff, go to the rock and speak to it and water will come out. So my question is this, if God knew that all it was going to take from Moses was to speak to the rock. Why did he still ask Moses to take that staff? Because the first time Moses used that staff for a miracle, he struck the sea and the sea parted. And so why did he ask Moses to take that same staff, but now speak to the rock? So what was the use of the staff? Why did Moses have to carry the staff if it was not going to be used for something? And I kind of understood that probably this was a way to test Moses, probably to see if his emotions were going to get the best of him than his obedience to God's word. It was a huge temptation, a huge test, because the first time, or maybe... yeah, the first time that Moses took this, he struck the sea and sea parted. So it would, it would be very easy to mistake that for this current miracle that, okay, then since I'm carrying staff, probably it would be used for something. Or God being all-knowing also understood Moses' emotions at that time. He knew exactly what Moses was passing through. Moses was frustrated. He was angry. He was annoyed. And it was so easy to transfer that anger to that staff and then use it to strike the rock so i think this was a test and i'm just going to say this that when you have that resolve when you make that resolve or that firm decision that okay now i want to start living for god now i want to start obeying god's word now i want to become obedient now i want to make god first in my life the temptations and the tests are going to triple Because that is when your Christian journey begins. Obedience is the test of your love for God. Because Jesus said, anyone who loves me would obey my commands. So the moment you begin to take obedience seriously, obedience to God's word, is the moment you begin 
to practicalize your love for God. And trust me, there is nothing the devil hates more than people that want to start working on their love for God. That is, that is where the war begins. So I'm just going to put that out there that you should be very, very careful during those times as the Bible warns us we should be wise as serpents. So be very careful, be very prayerful, ask God for help and for guidance to control your emotions, to control your actions, to control your thoughts, because the tests and the temptations are going to be tripling. And another thing I want to note from this um, situation was the fact that regardless of whether Moses spoke to the rock or struck the rock, water still gushed out. Even though Moses did not do exactly as he was told, the miracle still happened. And so when God wants our obedience or when God invites us to this relationship, it doesn't mean that he cannot do it without us because God's will is going to prevail whether or not we want to be a part of it. (laughs) Whether or not you accept, God is still going to be God and he's still going to do what he wants to do. And so when he calls you, or when he calls us to this um, plan or to this purpose, or when he involves us through obedience to this journey, he wants to involve us as children who wants us to take part in this amazing thing he's doing, in this amazing plan. He wants to involve us in that. It doesn't mean that he cannot do it without us. We are the one that needs God, not the other way around. God can definitely do without us, but he created us. Why? My Catholic catechist, why? To love him, to serve him, to worship him now in this life and to be with him forever in the next. That is what my first holy catechism tells me. And so we are the one that needs him. And so we have to understand this, that our 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 total submission to God, our obedience, our love for Him, our relationship, all of that, it doesn't affect God. It affects us. All of those things, all of the commandments, all of the rules, everything is for our own good so that we can be a part in this perfection. But regardless of that, whether you choose to or you choose not to, God is still going to do what He wants to do. God is still going to do what he has planned to do. So that is one lesson that we should take from there. And then moving on to when the Israelites were journeying, they asked the Edomites for access through their land to continue on their journey. You would recall that the Edomites were the, or are the descendants of Esau, who was the twin brother of Jacob, the ancestor of the Israelites. So they were pretty much relatives. But the Edomites, for very obvious reasons, did not want to have anything to do with the Israelites. Come on, like the Israelites had so many stories surrounding them. Like these were the people that had a God that rained manna for them for heaven. These were the people that were delivered from Egyptians, parted a sea into two. Like there was just so many unusual things attributed to these people that the Edomites did not want to take a take part of and so they did not allow the Israelites pass through and this just goes so much to show the brokenness how people that are related so closely could be so far apart but 
the Israelites did um, pass on um, peacefully. There was no fight. There was no war because the Edomites were relatives because Esau was the twin brother of Jacob, more so because they were relatives. God had also given the Edomites that land. And so the Israelites did not have permission or right from God to take over that land. It was not part of the land they were taking off over from so they had no right to cause a war or to start battle with them so they just moved on peacefully so that's just one thing to note as well and then moving on to Deuteronomy speaking about brokenness in Deuteronomy we see instances where God's holiness and God's standards meet our brokenness so yesterday in um, the last episode I was talking about how God meets us where we are and this is just like a very clear instance so we see where um the israelites take women prisoners from war and there is that situation where maybe an israelite wants to get married to a woman that he took as a prisoner so there are three major things that he is to allow her to do so first of all she is to cut her hair and cut her nails kind of symbolizes her new life as his wife and her um transition from that life that she used to live, the life also as a prisoner and life as a slave, to um, this new role of being a wife to this Israelite. And then she's also to change her clothes, depicting the same thing. She's occupying this new role as wife. And then thirdly, she's also supposed to have time to mourn her parents because that is what um, she's to do. If that That's something that the Israelites were to allow her to do because now they were not to see her as a slave or as a prisoner but they were to see her as a wife as that wife so that i think pretty much this was just saying that anything you would allow a normal israelite woman to do anything you would allow someone you care for to do you are also allow you're also to allow her to do the same thing regardless of who she was before because now she's no longer your prisoner or your slave or your property she is now your wife. And I know this might sound a bit much. This this might sound a bit off because, I mean, she used to be a prisoner. And probably her family members were killed by the same Israelites. But, like I said before, that God um, teaches us in stages. God is holy. He knows how weak and sinful we are. And He knows that if He is to match His holiness with ours in an instant... Nobody, and I mean literally nobody, would be able to meet up with that. And so he kind of meets us in our state of brokenness. It was normal in their time for these things to happen, for there to be conquest, for them to be war and taking of lands. So he meets them in that brokenness. He knows that Israelites, he knows their hearts, he knows that they would want to take these women as wives, these beautiful women as wives. And so what he does is not entirely eliminates that circumstance but to place limits. So it's allowed. It's okay if you want to marry a woman. Fine and good. But treat her as a human being. Treat her as you would treat someone you love for, not as a slave or as a property. And even at a point in time when you feel like you don't love her anymore and you want a divorce, you have no right to sell her because she's no longer a slave. She's now a free woman. So you have to let her go freely. And even in Genesis chapter 2 where it's, it was um, the standard set by God that one man should marry one woman. 
God kind of knew that. I mean, we've gone through from Genesis. We're now in Deuteronomy. We've seen so many, so many instances of brokenness. And God put that in the same picture. And he knew the brokenness of these people. He knew people would not be content with one wife. They would want to have wives and concubines. And so he did state in this Deuteronomy, okay, fine. If you want to have one wife, have more than one wife. If you want to have one wife, I mean, have one wife. If you want to have more, have more. But... When you have your first son coming from the woman you do not love the most or you love less, you have to still do the right thing by according him his birthright and his inheritance. And so there is still that limit. There is not an entire elimination of that um, circumstance of brokenness or weakness, but there is a limit placed by God. And this is just a very clear example of where God's mercy meets our sin and our flaws and then even goes further to say okay there is that case of when someone is hung and so if someone does the worst and the grievous of all sins that deserves death and he's killed and then he's hung regardless of whatever sin or whatever action he has committed that led to his death he is not allowed to be hung for more than a day he is to be buried before nightfall he is not allowed to be shamed and this grace where wild animals or wild beasts get to feed on his flesh all all through the week of the month, he still be he still deserves that respect, or not deserves, he still should be accorded that respect and be buried before nightfall, not because he deserves it, but because this shows God's mercy meeting our sin and our weakness. And I think it's it's very very significant because Deuteronomy 21 um, ends with saying that this is because someone hung attracts God's curse on the land. And Paul makes reference to this in Galatians chapter 3 where he says that Christ hung on the tree, taking away the curse of God from us and being cursed himself. I think this is so significant to us today. Today being Valentine's Day, by the way, happy Valentine's Day, guys. <laughs> today being Valentine's Day, this is the epitome of proof of love that someone who loved you so much died for you and attracted or became or received the curse of God on your behalf so that you can be free, so that you can get to live the good life that he wants you to live and to me that's just something i would never take for granted hopefully you don't take god's love for granted too and i'm just going to remind you that today if nobody has told you i love you so much happy valentine's day but most importantly god loves you more rest in his love accept his love and remain in his peace and with that i will bring today's episode to an end thank you so much for listening this far and i will see you guys tomorrow same time same place have an amazing day